This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome everybody to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Later on today, we'll be going into Bashir's budget address. He went on KET and really had a pre-recorded video where he talked about his budget. It is a budget year. We'll be digging into that. But first, we have a few headlines worth discussing. Before, though, I get to the headlines, please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. If you're on listening to this on Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, Twitter, or on the podcasting platform, if you're listening to this on WZXI, which is every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., I do invite you to share this as well, to talk to your friends and neighbors about it. And as always, if you want to reach out to the show, just make sure you email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. Well, few headlines for you first before we dig into the budget. Um, Kentucky's Roe v. Wade, a Jane Doe, <clears throat> it was Jane Roe in Roe v. Wade, but Kentucky's Roe v. Wade was a Jane Doe who recently filed suit challenging Kentucky's abortion law, who herself, of course, wasn't the, the victim of rape or incest or was worried about life of the mother or anything else. She just wanted to have an abortion, she stated, has withdrawn the lawsuit after um, reportedly, uh, I guess, having a miscarriage. Now, Planned Parenthood said uh, they are still what's funny, too, is when when they they did the press release on this, they didn't use the word miscarriage. Um, they said that a fetal heartbeat was no longer detectable, um, which is just goes to show the euphemism and, and hoops they jump through to make this sound as not human as possible for their viewpoint that even in the midst of a horrible instance, a woman having a miscarriage uh, they're they're quite literally. Uh, still using euphemisms in order to back up their claim. But anyways, Planned Parenthood said they're still looking to carry out this lawsuit here in Kentucky. They just have to find somebody. Well, why is it so hard for them to find someone? Well, maybe it's because Kentucky's abortion law isn't that actual restricting when you break it down. Maybe it's that, you know, as people make a big deal about Kentucky's very, very restrictive abortion law, maybe it's really not that restrictive when actually put into practice. And there's a whole lot of lefties out there trying to make a 
big deal about something that maybe isn't as much of a big deal uh, just simply to draw up support from their base to push that forward. And this is the perfect example. They're looking for someone to challenge this abortion lawsuit, but this abortion law, but they can't find anybody. Why? Well, first, you do have to be a woman who is pregnant in order to challenge abortion laws. Um, this was something that was ruled on by the Supreme Court quite a few years ago, uh, that if a woman wants to challenge abortion laws, they do have to themselves be pregnant. So that's the first thing, because you have to have an, be an interested party in the case. You know, it's it's not just enough to be a woman. Um, you, you have to be pregnant. And <clears throat> so what you're looking for, and the problem becomes, is you're trying to find a woman who is pregnant, <clears throat> that is willing to have the child, but would rather get an abortion, I guess, because here's the deal, right? You're, you're a female that lives in Kentucky. You can just drive to other states and go ahead and get an abortion if you really need one. You drive a few hours away, you get an abortion. It's really not that big of a deal. It's not that hard, right? You can just drive over to Missouri or something and get an abortion. Like, it's, it's not difficult. But but they do want to make a, a big deal about it. So if you're a woman who actually wants to get an abortion, and it's not for the life of the mother, well, or, it, you know, you would just go across straight lines. Well, when it comes to the rape or incest issue or challenge there, it's really hard because, see, these, these cases take so long in court that the woman who's bringing the case is going to most likely end up actually having the child. And so if it's a rape or incest situation, you'd like to obviously Planned Parenthood would like to bring suit on that. If they're really trying to challenge the law, then we can argue about what is the value of life, so on and so forth. And you all know how I feel about rape and incest exemptions. Um, well, you can't find those people because if a person actually like is like, no, 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 I need to get an abortion, they go across state lines and get one. Um, so you have to find a woman who is willing to have a child, but at the same time is willing to go to court and claim under affidavits she would like to kill that child. That's a very hard thing, obviously, to come by. Very difficult thing to come by. And, and you know, that people would point at that and say, so why even pass the laws in the first place? If people can just go out of state to get abortions, why even bother with that? Well, one thing I want to point at is that abortions are falling by a massive amount in the U.S. Ever since Roe v. Wade was overturned, we've seen gigantic tens of thousands of less abortions happening every year uh, since then. And on top of that, um, we're also seeing, though, uh, we're not seeing an increase in pregnancies. Actually, in births, we're actually seeing a slight decline in pregnancies and births. And why is that? It would appear that when Roe v. Wade was overturned, people just stopped using abortion as a counter, uh, as, a, as a contraceptive, basically. Instead of getting abortion, they're taking birth control, they're using condoms, they're doing something like that um, because well, they no longer have that easy option of just popping on over to Louisville or popping downtown and getting an abortion. So they actually bother to take their time and protect themselves when they're engaging in premarital uh, 
sex and so or marital sex i guess you could be doing too but anyways they take their time to protect themselves because they're like well i can't just go get an abortion or easily so i guess i'll actually do this and and, and that's a big part of it and that's why pro-life advocates saying like look this complete ban is perfectly fine cutting it off at this date it makes no sense because it's it's one you can go on a state but two it was about in the first place there's less abortions less people being murdered because now these women are actually in men are actually protecting themselves, uh, which is better too for stopping the spread of STDs and HIV and AIDS and all those other things as well. So you've got all those positives coming from it, but you're not actually getting more births because well, you still kind of have it like it always was. And that's how it was pre Roe v. Wade too. You could travel out of state and go get things all the time. So, I mean, it, it was quite literally, uh, that's why they're struggling so much to find a case. Something else here, too. Um, we have the red flag gun law is reportedly the NRA is saying that House leadership in Kentucky has indicated that the uh, uh, say that the car can um, crisis aversion rights retention act. The red flag gun law that Whitney Westfield was trying to get through is effectively dead in Kentucky. They will not bring it forward for a vote. I wonder if that has anything to do with, I posted this on Facebook. I wonder if this has anything to do with the fact that uh, when Whitney Westfield was asked about how you enforce this uh, and how you collect up the guns, he said it would be an honor system, creating a hole the size of a Mack truck uh, that you threw this law. Because quite clearly at that point, you're only taking guns from the people who you shouldn't have been taking them from in the first place. Of course, of course. Uh, and that's pretty straightforward and obvious. Well, the big story of the day, though, is that uh, Bashir last uh, night, day or two, two days ago or so, um, on Monday night, did a uh, this pre-recorded address to KET, released it to KET, on his budget. And he covered a lot of ground in there. It was about 30 minutes long. I'm going to bring you some highlights of it. I'm going to dig into what the facts are. We're going to go into the no spin zone or whatever it was called, but we'll, we'll unravel what Bashir had to say here. And just to point out um, what the facts are, what the truth is. And so you can better understand, of course, the budget process here in Kentucky, but at the same time, not fall for those political lies. Uh, we'll be going over that after this short break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperwriter show. As always, if you want to reach out to the show, Go ahead and email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics 
as always, if you want to reach out to the show. And I know those of you, what's funny is some of you listen on, um, I know some different platforms. And so like, literally you might be hearing this back to back. So I apologize, but um, you can always reach out to the show by uh, emailing info at the Just like to remind you all that. So Bashir did his, uh, what, what, what do you call this budget? His move forward Kentucky his forward together budget. That's what he called it forward together budget. And well, I guess it is all of our money. So we are quote unquote in it together. I guess you could say some of us by force, but we're in it. Um, and so, but starting off before I, I, I dig into anything he actually had to say about the budget. And I'm going to be playing a few of his clips, breaking down facts, numbers. You're going to get statistical Cooper Ryder here. You're getting numbers drew. Okay. You're getting, you're getting adding Andrew today. All right. You're getting the mathematical Andrew. Now, well, before I ever got into, uh, speaking publicly on politics, certainly doing a radio show and this kinds of things, uh, back when I was, you know, and before I owned my own companies, I was a um, sales and marketing director, manager, a regional director, manager, whatever you want to call it. And one of my uh, good friends who worked for me, uh, his name's Walter. Uh, he's best man at my wedding. Um, I'm going to say it how he said it. Now, full disclosure, Walter is black. Not that that's important. Um, but <laughs> it's only important because he would make fun of me and use uh, a quote unquote white voice uh, where I would, I would make a joke about some, or I'd say, well, you know, mathematically speaking, that's not correct or whatever. And he'd be like, statistically speaking, you can't say that and making fun of me. So well before I ever got into politics, my uh, drive, well, I was into politics then too, but well before I started speaking about it publicly, I was very driven by the data behind things by looking at a picture when it comes to numbers and not taking rhetoric at face value, but digging into the numbers. So I'll be doing that. But before we do that, I do want to point this out on Andy Bashir's desk while he was going through this whole shabacle, Um, he had a mug that was clearly placed um, <clears throat> off to his left side and it was turned in such a way. And it says, we can't be doing that. He's got a mug with the words, we can't be doing that. Now, <clears throat> let me tell you why. Sorry, I had a little tickle in my throat. Let me tell you why that's so noteworthy. So you may remember during COVID, um, you can't be doing that became his saying when he was handing down tyrannical edicts. So he'd say, oh, you can't go to work. <laughs> you can't be doing that. You know, you can't play sports. You can't be doing that. You can't see your family at Thanksgiving. You can't be doing that. You can't provide in for your family. You can't be doing that. Right. <clears throat> and that to us on the right, though, became a little bit of a joke, uh, pointing out his tyrannical side, his edicts, the way he pushes these things forward and just how awful it is. And so that really kind of sets a pace for me uh, that he would have this mug here. We can't be doing that mug putting forward simply, uh, you know, pushing forward that despite all of his nice words that he may say, and he says some pretty nice words, um, of course, lacking fact, but nice words regardless. 
Uh, and, you know, people say Bashir's a nice guy. I hear you. People say Joe Biden's a nice guy. Um, but, you know, in politics, you need more than nice guys. You know, when when the Antichrist comes, I'm sure he'll be a nice guy, too. Um, you need more than nice guys. But the fact that he put that mug there just goes to show, one, he longs for that COVID time. He longs for the time where he could throw down these tyrannical edicts however he wanted to. He misses it. He wishes it would come back. On top of that, he he does greatly enjoy um, reminding people that at one point he, with the stroke of a pen, would order that your life be destroyed. And frankly, I think that's an atrocity. And I just want to point that out. Now, he's going to start off in this. He's I'm going to spare you a lot of it. I'm going to give you some clips here. We got maybe five minutes total that you'll hear from it over the course of the rest of this program. Uh, but he starts off by painting this really rosy picture about how awesome he in Kentucky is doing. And he, and he points to the battery plant, you know, that took $410 million uh, uh, from us, half a billion dollars from us, uh, that is looking like a giant bust. If I was him, I'd stop talking about it. Ford is not doing well on the whole battery front. And other giant giveaways of our tax dollars he's done. And, and, and he points to that to say, look, um, look how nice and how good we're doing because he's about to mess us all over. Right. You know, he he's Bashir's at least nice enough. I'll give this to him. He's nice enough uh, to give us a little bit of pillow talk. You know, he's not just going in for it. Right. He's going to give us a little bit of pillow talk. Right. He's going to whine and dine us. You know, I mean, if you're going to end up pulling one over on me, at least you could take me out to dinner first. And that's what he's going to do. You know, he's going to prime me for when he gets ready to destroy my life. Um, in fact, in the beginning, he even goes on to thank the General Assembly in his address. And why? Well, despite uh, this hate that goes on between them, he wants to thank them because this is a public address. He wants to appear like he's the one working with them when he's doing the quite opposite. So <clears throat> budgets in the past, this is, this is really fascinating what's happened over the course of Bashir's term here. So in the past, budgets have always gone like this. The, the, the governor goes to the legislature and gives them his budget, his suggested budget. Uh, and then he releases that governor's budget to the public after he's talked through it with them. Uh, and then they're able to consider that governor's budget. Well, Bashir was just started releasing this public budget of his without actually going to the legislature and talking through it. And why is that? Because Bashir isn't interested in actually getting any of this done. He's interested in scoring points. He's interested in creating a political situation. Bashir all the time talks about, it's not red or blue. It's about getting great things done for Kentucky. But in actuality, if it was about getting great things done, you would go to the legislature beforehand and discuss these items with him, but he doesn't do that. So <clears throat> one year he refused uh, to even discuss with him. He just releases his budget. So then the next time they go to do a budget, uh, this was two years ago, the legislature literally just released their budget before the governor ever prepared and released a budget. And that was a departure from the norm. They did that to point to Bashir and say, look, you're not going to throw out a budget out there uh, and then somehow claim that, uh, when we do things, because here's the other thing, too, and you'll see that in this thing, that the, the governor will put forward ideas that the legislature is always going to already going to do. So that way he can claim he won. He pulled something over on him. He did something. That is, that is something we'll see here. 
And so he's going to start off real nice thanking the General Assembly, despite the fact that we're in this weird like tit-for-tat budget release system. So two years ago, the legislature released a budget before he even got out of governor's budget. And so now this year, he's not going to go to the, he's not going to give the, the legislature a sneak peek. He's going to really set that tone for how well the legislature and him are going to work together by going ahead and releasing his governor's budget very uh, early on, much earlier than normal in order to beat them to the punch uh, in order to get that done. He's going to release it in a televised address in order to circumvent those legislators. And once again, be able to claim some of the things they do as successes while at the same time attempt to browbeat them into making some pretty bad financial decisions. And, and, and the other thing that Bashir makes clear as well throughout this budget presentation is that no matter how he ran, like he ran on this whole, like, we're going to, uh, uh, you know, I'm really for lowering the income tax. You may remember that, right? He took credit for lowering the income tax saying, oh, I lowered your income tax. We got to work to lower your income tax, but we can't do it too fast. Maybe you remember him saying that. Well, there's, there's two types of things you could do. So you got a little bit of a savings here. Maybe you think you have a surplus. Once again, we didn't hit uh, our numbers like we were supposed to because they spent too much. The legislature's got to keep that in mind. I would say, hey, you return that money back to them. But let's say you're a you're you're Bashir, you're a liberal, and so you don't even believe in returning the money back to them. But the smart thing to do, if you actually at all believe in eventually cutting down the income tax, or you recognize good fiscal soundness, or you recognize that uh, you know state revenues may fall. Uh, well, you wouldn't go ahead and just spend everything. You would you would want to have you know those capital investments initially, right? So if there's some construction that needs done, certain one-time projects that need done, you get those done. But you don't bring on extra expenses and expenses into the future. Though for most, for about half of the entire address, his spending plans that we'll go over here in a bit, were nothing but increased spending from now into the future. That's all they were. And so it makes you wonder, like, this isn't even good fiscal soundness. You're, you're adding on bills into the future with no guarantee of income whatsoever. And so he wanted to increase spending in some areas. Like I said, he did have some one-time capital projects we'll talk about, but it just, it just lacks that kind of fiscal soundness, right? So the, the overall address is about 30, I think it's 32, 33, 34 minutes long. You can watch it on YouTube if you feel like subjecting yourself to that torture. Um, but after about seven minutes of fluff and BS, we start getting to the brass tacks of everything. And he starts out by talking about education. And it makes some sense. About half the budget of our of our state budget does go into education, of course. Um, so it makes sense that he'd spend some time on it. But he had quite a lot of things to say uh, that I think we've got to dispel some myths, some rumors. He, he treats Kentuckians like they're idiots and unthinking people. But we'll be going over exactly what he said after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics as always if you want to reach out to the show just email info at theandrewshow.com once again that's info at theandrewshow.com and you are back with the andrew kubrater show your source for kentucky politics for the break we were talking about Andy Bashir released his education 
budget, his his thing he's throwing out there is, is not just his education budget. Sorry. He released his forward together budget, which is his state budget. Uh, it is a budget year. Obviously, I talked about uh, some of the posturing that's gone on around this in order to get it out before the legislature and some reasons behind that. But anyways, so he starts off by pointing this rosy picture. He gives us seven minutes of fluff and BS. Um, but his first actual spending plan comes down to education. Let's play uh, what he had to say here. The very best education and all the opportunities coming their way. So to make sure we deliver on this promise, we must first provide an 11% raise to all public school employees, including teachers, bus drivers, cafeteria workers, janitors, everyone. The National Education Association currently ranks us, Kentucky, 44th in starting teacher pay and 40th in average teacher pay. We must do better. It's simple. You cannot give a child every opportunity if they don't have a teacher in every classroom. We won't have enough bus drivers unless we pay a better wage. And we cannot remain competitive with other states if we don't pay our teachers and other employees what they're worth. This pay raise would move us to 24th place in starting teacher pay and up to 25th place in average teacher salary. So let's uh, talk about some of what he had to say there. Let's dispel some myths there. <laughs> some some words he 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 just bleh, word salad. Some not word salad, but he just spews out a bunch of things about why we have to pay our teachers more. But before he goes into some of the facts, well, quote unquote facts, uh, you'll see what I mean here in a second. He does say children deserve every opportunity for good education. And it's funny he would say that while he is, and the Democrats are, actively fighting school choice efforts in Kentucky. School choice that would give every child an opportunity for education, that would give every child the same opportunity for education as every other child. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate my child uh, uh, to have the means and ability to send my kid to a private Christian school, but I believe everybody should have that opportunity regardless of your income status. You want to talk about equity? Well, real equity would be everybody being able to get the same high-quality, non-indoctrinal, indoctrinal, non-indoctrinating, indoctrinating, non-whatever that word would be, um, the same high-quality uh, education that's not seeking to indoctrinate their kids as I can provide my child. I think everybody should have that opportunity and it shouldn't be just based upon your income. It should be based upon uh, the fact that everybody deserves that choice. And that's why school choice uh, should matter so much, but he doesn't push for that. He's, he's actively fighting against it, but let's now talk about the numbers, right? So, so first off his own words ring hollow when you consider his actions early on, but let's talk about his numbers. Let's compare some apples to apples and see if we're accurate. Okay. So let's take these stats at first face value, right? Um, that Kentucky is 44th and starting paying 40th and average pay. Now I say at face value for this reason, it gets difficult to compare teacher pay state to state. And this is why. So some states include pension payments and their uh, benefits into that pay. And some states don't. Here in Kentucky, we do not add 
pension benefits. We do not add the pension contributions we make as a state on the teacher's behalf as a part of their compensation. That is its own line item. There's a reason why. And it's because here in Kentucky, we have a balanced budget amendment and therefore we're required. We can only spend the amount of money we bring in. However, our pension obligations are not considered a part of the balanced budget. So we can choose to not fulfill our pension obligations and instead give money to this over here. But that requires us to not count pension obligations into our teachers' salaries. If we did that, you would see Kentucky already increase significantly from that 44th to 40th point. But of course, you'd have to be comparing apples to apples because other states that don't have balanced budget amendments, states like I believe California doesn't, um, they, they include their teachers' pension payments into it. But let's take it at face value. Let's pretend like we can actually compare all these numbers apples to apples. So Kentucky's 44th in starting pay, according to the NEA, 40th in average pay. That was from Bashir. Well, I got some news for Bashir. Kentucky's doing pretty good then. Because according to U.S. News, Kentucky is the third lowest in cost of living. Kentucky's the third lowest cost of living in the country. So that means all else being equal, you'd actually expect Kentucky to rank 47th, but we're not. We're ranking 44th and 40th. And how does this manifest itself into our teachers' pay? Well, let's look at who NEA say is the highest paid state in the nation, New York. Well, the average pay for a, a Kentucky teacher is $54,139, okay? The average pay in New York is $91,000. you are like, wow, that's a big significant difference. Well, when you adjust for cost of living in Lexington, KY, if you're a teacher in Lexington, Kentucky, making $54,000 a year, in New York City, the actual equal salary when adjusted for cost of living is $143,000 a year. So when you look at cost of living and actual value of the dollars, what you find is that the average paid teacher in Kentucky actually makes more than New York City, but that is who, and then New York, and that is who NEA points to as the highest paid, the best, whatever, the highest ranked, highest paid teacher salary in the nation. But yet in real dollars, Kentucky pays $43,000 more. Kentucky pays almost uh, 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 70-ish percent more, 60-ish percent more when accounted for cost of living than the highest place. That goes against it, right? But but this is Bashir, though. Let's just throw money at the problem. He talks about we need to pay bus drivers more if we want them to uh, uh, transport kids. He's ignoring the fact that recently JCPS had a bus driver protest of sorts. They were doing a sick out, and they released demands. And you know what was nowhere on the demand? More pay. It's got nothing to do with money. It's got to do with these kids. But if Bashir admitted that bus drivers and teachers and school employees are running short because, you know, they don't like to do something like, I don't know, work for a woke school system that prioritizes LGBTQs over ABCs, well, that means he might have to admit that he's at fault for that. And if, and if they say that, well, kids are unruly, and that's why bus drivers and teachers, they don't want to deal with that. 
Well, that would mean then that that is being caused by a breakdown of the nuclear family that liberals like Bashir have worked so hard to destroy and are causing that. Or if it's because they say, well, the parents are just absolutely awful and we don't want to deal with them. Well, that's because the establishment has been working so hard to get government to replace parents, uh, to replace the parent in child's lives. And that is causing the issue. So no matter what the cause is, well... And it's probably a mix of all three that I went through. Woke school systems, unruly kids, bad parents. No matter what it is, it goes down to the problem being, dun, 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 the ideology that people like Bashir prescribe to and push forward. But he can't say that out loud. So let's instead lie and say that our teachers aren't being paid enough when compared to other states, which is not accurate, as I just went through, that our teachers are paid right in line with all other teachers in the country. But instead, let's just try to throw money at this problem because, well, that's what makes the most sense to them. Let's just throw money at it. That surely should solve the problem. It can't be anything else we're doing wrong despite all the evidence to the contrary. But that's not the only place he wants to see more spending. We've got preschool, colleges, a whole lot of other things we'll be talking about after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. As always, questions, comments, concerns, you can reach out to the show by emailing info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. We'll be back here in just a few short minutes. And you are back. With the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Before the break, we've been going over Bashir's budget address. We talked about his first ideas on education. Let's see, here's the next idea here uh, that what he wants to spend money on, and that's universal pre-K students uh, uh, preschool. Let's go ahead and let's take a listen. Budget will provide $172 million each year to fund universal preschool for all four-year-old children so that every child is kindergarten ready. The Department of Education estimates that under this plan, about 34,000 additional Kentucky four-year-olds would be provided with a preschool education. So, um, <laughs> Bashir's a liar. Uh, he thinks you're an idiot. And um, he thinks you won't do the math. But never fear. Coop Ryder is here. I'm going to do the math. I'm going to use Bashir's own number. So, well, we're going to do some really quick math here. Okay, let's take $172 million, That's how much he says he's going to spend every year to spend on. And, and he says it in his own numbers there, that will be 34,000 kids. If it's spent on just 34,000 kids, that's 5K a kid, $5,000 a year per child. Now, Bashir wants you to believe that the same school system, like Fayette County Public Schools or JCPS, that spends over $17,000 a student, is going to be able to provide preschool at just 5K a year. I mean, maybe in the private sector, generally the average preschool is about 6K a year, 7K a year right now in the private sector. But once again, what was the words he used though? What were they? He said 34,000 additional kids. But before that, he said universal pre-K prep for all four-year-olds. So it's 34,000 additional, but he's also going to provide it to all the other four-year-olds that are currently getting preschool. And the best estimate, total number of four-year-olds in Kentucky, about 56 
thousand. So how much is that now per kid? He is putting forward a program that he says is only going to cost 172 million. That's $3,000 per child per year. Let me ask you, does anybody out there think you can get preschool for kids for 3k a year? I mean, best case scenario, the real number is going to be three times that I think at least, I mean, that's best case scenario. I mean, you know, right now they probably haven't figured in transportation. They're saying, Parents will bring their own kids, but then how long till they come back and they say, well, we need transportation. How long till they come back and they say, well, we need uh, 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 these programs. We need art programming, this programming, that program, that programming for the kids. And eventually this ends up costing us probably something closer to 600 million a year. And I think he knows that, but he's thinking to himself, hey, let's get this program started. Let's get our foot in the door. And then we can go back like we do with all schooling now and demand more and more money, transportation funding, yada, yada, yada. And then they'll probably end up closer to 600 million and still be saying we're not getting enough. We know that's what he's doing. But it wasn't just preschool and uh, uh, public schools he was worried about. Nope. Let's take a listen here. He also had some words about college, what he wants to spend money on. Let's take a listen. Higher education. My plan adds nearly 8% to the base budgets of our nine public institutions over two years. 8% increase to the base budget. That's a pretty penny. Let me tell you, that's tens of millions of dollars. Um, 8% increase. It's pretty good. Schools must really be needing that cheddar, right? They need those moolah. They know you need those dollars to make ends meet, surely, right? I don't know. Let's look at UK and let's look at L. as those are two of the nine. Now, if you want to say that some of the schools may need it, like maybe uh, EKU, WKU, KCTC, something like that, right? NKU, I'm sure, I think, in, I swear, EKU, WKU, and NKU are private universities too. Is that is that it? University of Kentucky, University of Louisville, KSU, EKU, NKU, WKU, and then KCTC. I think that's that's six. So there's a few more. Anyways, point is um, that some of them may need it. I don't know what they're, all their financial situations are. I'm not going to dig through it to let you know. But he said an 8% across the board, right? So let's look at University of Kentucky. Let's look at UofL. Uh, for, I don't know, craps and giggles. So let's see here. Um, University of Louisville currently has an endowment the size of $870 million. $870 million. You think they need an 8% increase? What about University of Kentucky? Well, their current endowment is $2.13 billion. UK has more of a savings, almost more of a savings than Kentucky does, or the same, pretty similar savings. But yeah, they got to get their 8% raise, right? I mean, UK has, has, a, has a savings close to that of the entire state government. But they need us to give them an 8% raise, according to Bashir. I mean, look, I understand Bashir's got to pay off and keep funding the liberal voting manufacturers that our, our college system in America. I mean, if we don't give these universities money, who else will end up teaching them to hate the Jews and the white people and the Republicans and the straight people in the West and America and themselves? I mean, someone has to teach them that, right? Someone's got to. I guess they need our tax dollars, more of it to do it. Now, these are his pie-in-the-sky grand ideas. And, of course, ways that he can in the future blame and Democrats can blame 
<laughs> Republicans for failing schools because they'll just sit there and say, well, they just didn't fund us enough. And that's actually the Republicans fault because we just didn't get enough money. It's all political posturing. He knows it. He can pretend and play like he's above the fray, but he's not. He's setting this up and, and setting out things that create ongoing bills that the General Assembly is not going to give the money for. But he's going to be able to say, well, it's all the Republicans' fault. But he does have to somehow get some wins. So he's going to give up some easy layups, some easy things that he knows the legislature is most likely already going to do. But he can say, look at this bipartisan effort. I got done. Uh, I, I, I got done. I've helped out you in Kentucky. Uh, this wasn't just the Republicans. I did stuff too. Uh, let's hear uh, one of those examples. I'm proposing another $500 million in grants to our counties and our local governments to continue to provide unserved families access to clean water and wastewater systems. If passed, it will build upon the $500 million we have already allocated in federal dollars since 2021 through a bipartisan agreement with the General Assembly. Now, this is actually about, I think I'm about 15 minutes through, 20 minutes through is when this video played. He is starting to get a little bit sweaty. I didn't notice that. He's getting a little sweaty there, it looks like. But anyway, so he brings up uh, grants for clean drinking water. I mean, he already says they've passed something similar before. Running water, we can all say okay to. And most would say government has a role, obviously, in, in providing some of the utilities. And now he can say, oh, look, I got them to do it. I did it. And here's another example. And this one's on broadband, a little more egregious of him pretending like, oh, this is just a great grand idea. Uh, I'll definitely put this forward and it's all on me. And the legislature, if they do it, are listening to me. And I'll go into why uh, after this. It's also time to make a final push to expand high-speed internet into every home and every business across Kentucky. We've already made historic investments, totaling over $590 million. Now, we secured a nearly $1.1 billion federal grant which will be the largest public investment in high-speed internet in state history. So I'm asking the General Assembly to approve these funds for distribution. By combining federal and matching funds, we should see a nearly $2 billion investment to finally make high-speed internet a reality in every Kentucky household. I'm going to tell you this. The legislature is going to do it. I'm going to tell you why they're going to do it. And it's not because Bashir asked him to. It's for a very simple reason. It's funny to hear him say, too, uh, I'm asking the General Assembly to authorize this money. And this is, this is why it's funny. So Bashir and the legislature kind of don't have a choice here. They have to provide broadband uh, to, to pretty much all of Kentucky. And, and it's because I believe it was under Steve Bashir, Bashir's dad. Um, that a broadband contract was signed that royally sucks. And so now we have to finish it. What do I, it, it sucks so much. So we signed this contract saying that uh, we would put broadband up. And if we don't finish out the contract, the cost for us to exit the contract, what we would have to pay to exit this contract costs more than it will cost to just put up the broadband. So we have to put it up anyways. And that sucks because there's other options available to us now. Things like Starlink that would cost one-tenth 
of the remaining expected cost to provide internet to every single person. But we have to do broadband because Daddy Bashir signed these contracts. So, of course, the legislature is going to approve this because there's this federal grant money out there now, and they'll pay for half of it. So, yeah, they're like, yeah, we have to pay for it anyways. We are contractually obligated to pay for it. We got to do it anyways. Might as well take advantage of the federal government paying for half of it. But Bashir pushes this forward like it's his grand idea when actually it was his daddy who made us do this in the first place and made Kentuckians spend billions more than they had to on broadband. Well, y'all, that's what we've got time for today on the Andrew Cooperator Show. I thank y'all so, so much for joining us. See you back here tomorrow, 9 a.m. on WZXI, 1 o'clock everywhere else. Have a great rest of your day.